Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Lesson 9 of 21 for 21, 21 Lessons About Sport and Media in the 21st Century. My name's Stuart, I work in sports marketing and Dusseldorf, joined today as always by... Jamie, and I work in sport journalism in Barcelona. Uh, This week's guest is uh, quite an exciting one, because he's been everywhere, he's been very busy indeed. Um, His name's Alex Fenton, he's got a PhD in sport social media the effects of social media and social capital on football and we'll get into that down the line we'll also look at uh, various research that he's done on fan experience in football fan engagement in sports brands Um, recently he was on bbc news talking about uh, a little transfer deal that manchester united made over the summer um so we're going to go right ahead and and say hi to alex fenton uh alex welcome and, and thanks for joining us Hi guys, thanks very much for having me. It's uh, a pleasure to be uh, to be joining you on this podcast, which I've been following avidly so far. It's been brilliant. Yeah, I think you were one of the, the early fans that when I, I shared it on LinkedIn, you were, you were like, oh great, Jamie, like, you know, um, great for sharing. So so thank you very much for, for being one of our early listeners and now for being on the podcast itself. Um, you're a lecturer at Salford right now, but you're on your way to Chester. Yeah, that's that's correct. So yeah, I've been at, I've been at Salford University for uh, twenty years in in two stints. I think I was ninety seven. I was one of Salford's first ever kind of uh, full time web and digital developers. You know, just as the internet was becoming a thing. So I've kind of you know run commercial units doing sort of digital development and digital marketing. And then uh, probably about two thousand and thirteen, moved into the business school, looking at sort of. Uh, you know doing a bit of commercial work and getting students involved with projects and employability and all that type of stuff and then um, I've been doing a master's part-time in creative technology and um, then uh, you know I started doing a bit more guest talks and you know working a bit more closely on the academic side and then a lecture role came up in digital business so I went for that got that 2014 and started um, started a PhD as as you as you mentioned and uh, the rest is history so uh, yeah um, I'm off to uh, after 20 years. I'm off to uh, Chester University and in, uh, in uh, the, over the next uh, over the coming weeks. So that's going to be a 
a really interesting opportunity. And again, uh, sport is the, uh, the a great connector between uh, between these roles as well. Yeah, so that was um, interesting for me because we've been doing talking a lot with with recent guests about their roots into into working in sport. But in your resume, you only touched on sport throughout the very end. So is that because there was a, a natural fit between the digital business you were doing and sport, or you just such a passionate passionate fan you had to had to cram, cram it into somewhere to do your research? That's that's a really interesting question. It's probably I would say. You know, I, probably first and foremost, I am I am digital transformation. I think sport is is one of the most interesting sectors. Uh, there are there are others, you know, um, and it's probably the one that I, I've got most most sort of attachment to, as you say, as, as as a fan myself, and just the the opportunities it brings and the excitement around it. But it was it sports probably something. Obviously, I've always always been a kind of a you know a football fan and so forth, but. Um, it's something that came to me a little later when I started my PhD. My original PhD proposal was around 2014, was around business simulations. And it was just at the point where um, Salford University signed in a partnership with uh, the class of 92 and Salford Football Club, just as all that kind of takeover happened. And they came out and said, we, you know, we want Salford to become the world's first always on digital football club. So I literally read that, screwed up the original PhD <laughs> proposal and then said, I'm going to do this, you know, and uh, and the rest is history. And that's kind of really brought me into more into the sport world, if, if you will. Um, and then, you know, started teaching on digital sport type modules and, and publishing papers uh, on digital sport and so forth. So, yeah, it, it's kind of um, probably digital transformation first and then sport second. So, for example, I published a, a digital transformation book just before lockdown, which hardly mentioned sport, actually, sadly, but um but I do try. I tr do try and sort of weave that in wherever I can, really. So it's it's quite a journey from, you know, from from like you say, working on the website of things on digital technologies to then being on BBC News talking about the Cristiano Ronaldo signing to Manchester United. Yeah. Um, I'm going to sort of chase you a little bit on digital transformation. Uh, for the uninitiated, what what is that? What does it involve? And yeah. then why is it important to sport probably now more than ever? That's a great question. So, so what is it? I think probably the easiest way I could describe it is is what we we kind of set out in the book around um, <clears throat> organisations becoming uh, more digital, digitally mature, but also becoming kind of like data driven, people focused organisations, if you will. So, um, I mean, the people focus obviously is, is is age old, but it's the it's the the quantity and the quality of data that we've got these days, and the the potential for technologies to be able to make a difference i mean particularly within sport you know we're talking about fan engagement for example which is a you know a a perennial challenge for any sports organization um but also things like competitive advantage on the pitch you know whether it's kind of you know the application of um you know virtual reality for training or or new methods and so forth just the every every type of disruptive technology uh, around whether it's you know bluetooth beacons vr headsets augmented reality Bitcoin and NFTs has got some kind of application to some area of sport. Um, so, I mean, I just one example. Um, I um, five years ago started a project called FanFit. Um, so this was a project um, <clears throat> we got like a, a universities have got kind of internal funds that they get from a, the higher edu education and innovation funds. And they used to kind of stimulate, you know, new new projects, new research and so forth. So we built a version for um Salford Red Devils, the Rugby League, Super League side. Um, and I think it's like the first kind of official club app and probably the first in the Super League in some ways, of its kind anyway. 
and it did the usual thing that smartphone apps should do you know pulls in news and fixtures and social media stuff but generally a lot of a lot of um if clubs have actually got a smartphone app that's kind of all they do it's like an extension of the website maybe a bit of exclusive video or something so we wanted to use the capabilities of the smartphone and but also um think about some of the societal challenges we've got particularly in the northwest around sort of heart disease diabetes etc and thinking about how can we you know get fans to be a bit more active and and to you know get a little bit fitter so we sort of gamified it around uh, doing step counting in leagues like global leagues monthly leagues private leagues and then sort of um incentivizing it around you know you could win a, a shirt or a season ticket etc um which went down really well so it's like a disruptive technology implementation you know uh, smartphones and wearables into a club like that sort of rebranded like a white label uh and that went down really well um so we we managed to get a grant and do a a, a bigger project with a rangers football club in scotland which again glasgow have got some quite similar kind of health challenges um a, a bit of a different level up there in terms of the you know 50,000 season ticket holders and uh you know we did a big launch with uh, uh morellas and defo like held up a big picture of our app and then you know 8,000 fans download it overnight you know so it's another kind of level of um you know scale you know we worked really close with fans and said you know what do you want out of it and what motivates you etc so that's been that's been a great project and just one example really of uh perhaps the way that sports clubs could work with universities and and perhaps um you know because because often sports clubs are pretty uh stretched in terms of the back-end resource um so it's probably one example of the way universities could perhaps overlap and do kind of real world projects if you will so I guess with um, you, the first um, a couple of teams you mentioned there, so obviously Salford City, who were in the, the eighth tier of English football, I think, when the uh, Class of 92 took over, and then, of course, the Salford Red Devils Rugby League. Um, do you think, so what were sort of the challenges of applying what you'd implemented at a, a smaller team into Rangers? Like, um, was it easier to be a digital disruptor at the smaller team, or is it just when, when you've got somewhere, an open ear and someone who will listen to you, it was sort of the same when you jumped into Rangers. That's a great question. Um, I think, in many ways, it, it was it was a little easier with Rangers, um, and perhaps because we're working directly with the with the uh, the foundation. So it was kind of uh, perhaps the lines of communication were a little clearer in terms of the objectives because a lot of sports charity foundations of um, they're looking to look after the well being of uh, you know physical and mental well being of fans. So something like FanFit kind of, it, 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 I mean, I was, I was just talking to another large uh, rugby club earlier about it. And it's kind of when you talk to the right person, it's a little bit like pushing an open door because they're running kind of events and walks and various other things, but don't really have much of a mechanism for sort of trying to pull that together and incentivize. So, for example, um, up in Scotland, um, they started the uh, football fans in training uh, where they physically get fans into the club and train for 12 weeks. But the challenge was after that, that they've, you know, they got them all excited about physical activity but then after 12 weeks when the program ended motivation dropped a little bit and um you know uh they'd lost touch with each other because obviously the social capital bit is, is important isn't it around sports so that's where the app comes in really that ability to kind of create a digital community and enhance the physical one so just a, a long-winded answer to your question i would say in this particular case it was a little easier working with a larger organization but i think larger larger sports clubs often come with um, a little bit more restriction in terms of what they can and can't do in terms of the right. Jamie and I were talking earlier in the week about rights managements and um, uh, red tape and politics and things like that as well. So certainly, you know, I work with a lot of Premier League clubs and the difference between, you know, working with them and 
other clubs like Salford FC, for example, is uh, they're, they're much more open to doing stuff uh, and they're a bit less tied up in red tape. Not not completely tied up and, and all sports clubs at every level are short of time and, and cash to do things. Um, but it's certainly, um, with that particular implementation, the Rangers one was a little bit easier because we had a bit more cash behind us and a clearer lines of, um, of doing stuff. But in general, I think it's it's probably easy working with smaller clubs because they're a little bit more open and less, uh, you know, bound up in red tape, if you will. That's really interesting. It's it's taking that fan engagement almost to like another level because it's kind of bringing in this real world offline element, you know, going walking or, or whatever. Mm. And I, I often criticise a lot of big sports brands for their lack of fan engagement, even on like social media. They just use yeah. it as another broadcast tool. Mm. or an extension of of their website or just and and like for me i think they're missing the point almost (laughs) or they're missing a trick maybe by not not caring for that community and not and again we talked about this this early in the week i spoke with some of alex's students and i said that building communities is going to be is going to be everything on episode uh four we talked about nfts and and philip harold said oh building communities around nfts or these fan bases are going to be crucial in the coming years and so you see big organizations that are just pushing out messages on social media and not really interacting or 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 building the community and then you know Salford FC or or Rangers are doing this kind of extra step where they're they're not just got an app and they're not just engaging on social media but they're also bringing the fans into the mix and encouraging them to be uh, healthy and active and, and remain engaged with the club and the brand Exactly. on this kind of bigger level mm. i don't know if you've got I, I was looking through your your research and you've done a lot about kind of social media um whether it's conversations or fan engagement or is there kind of like and we'll ask you later like you know the one lesson because we ask every guest that their <laughs> lesson as you know <laughs> for, for the episode but is there kind of a, a, any takeaways that you've had about the importance of fan engagement yeah through the use of media I think so. You know, it's when you do a PhD, you end, you know, I've ended up with like, you know, a, a, an immersion journal, netnography, you know, t- tracking, you know, what's going on and screenshots and notes over two years and 30 interviews with fans all around the world and mapping out networks through social network analysis and ultimately 100,000 words. But one of one of the guys that inspired me that helped the Salford FC partnership. I, I love how you just brushed that off. You're just like, ah, oh, you know, 30 yeah. interviews, 100,000 yeah, words. Yeah. <laughs> Here's nothing. So it was easy because, you know, I love the topic, you know. So the idea about me being able to reach out to a fan in Bangalore and say, listen, why are you following Salford FC on Twitter? You know, and fact, I, I, it, was, wow. it was so simple to, to find interviewees for the study, you know, because fans just wanted, they want to talk to you about the fandom, you know, even lurker fans, you know. So like most fans are, you know, Salford have got a big kind of social media following, but big numbers, and we're looking at more engagement. You know, but I think that thing that the the numbers mean nothing. I, I think um, I don't really agree with that in some ways because when you interview these fans from interview from India, Russia, U, US, etc., they they know what's going on at the club. It might be the second favorite club or third favorite club, and they're just interested, but they know what's going on. They know the price of a season ticket, and and they might even consider you know buy you know buying a shirt or something. But it, it they do require uh, a bit more interaction with the club and they want to feel a bit more of a connection with the club, even lurker fans, you know? So that's kind of the, the just going back to your original point, it's kind of out of that hundred thousand words, one of the guys that inspired my PhD in the first place is a uh, professor, Chris Brady, who um, 
He's incredibly well connected in the world of sport and helped, you know, broker the class of 92 deal. And Chris said to me, out of that 100,000 words, you need to boil this down into like a, at the time, 144 character tweet, you know. So it's kind of, you know, <laughs> what is the headline here? And, and a critical thing, obviously there was more than one, but a critical thing that a lot of social media managers that I interviewed were saying uh, and fans were saying was that actually, um, you know, fans do value that engagement with the clubs, the social capital, if you will. They want to see a bit more kind of behind the scenes and they want to see um, what makes the players tick. And they actually really value it if fa- other fans or the club reach out to them and say, hey, you know, I, I like I like what you've done here. I like your profile picture and, and engagement. And that's a really hard thing to do for, for uh, sports clubs because, I mean, if you look at Premier League clubs, they've got a small social media team and they've got millions of millions of comments. So they're working with like artificial intelligence software to try and filter some of that toxic comments out. But actually what fans want, you see, after your um, podcast on TikTok the other day, we started um, following um, clubs like Burnley and so forth and looking at the, um, you know, because the men's and women's content's kind of merged together. And you see fan after fan saying, do the club respond? Well, no, they don't do because they haven't got the capacity to do so. But actually if the club did respond, that would probably, that would go a long way, you know, to building a bit of a rapport and social capital with the fans. So it's that balance, isn't it? Whether we use artificial intelligence or we hire more community managers or both, that propensity to be able to actually come in and, and, and talk to fans and engage them uh, as much as is, is, is physically possible. And that ultimately will include fandom. Now, whether that's kind of fan-led initiatives or AI or some other scheme, um, the classic thing is producing the type of content that's going to reach that type of you know weekly connected fan but equally, you know, that that physical interaction, you know, whether it's, you know, Robert, uh, Robert Perez uh, as an artificial <laughs> intelligence bot or whether it's an actual, you know, a, a, a student ambassador working on behalf of the club or, or the club just hire a bunch more social media uh, team. You know, it's just improved community management and reaching out to people and not underestimating the value of that, I think. Yeah, so again, that goes back to our topic of, of last week's. We spoke with um, Tom from Samba Digital, so yep. the, the localization agency. So I guess on a on that the bigger clubs, like you mentioned, they mm. can do the um, region specific content. But from what I understand, you were saying on, on the smaller level with with Salford, do you think it's better for them to have almost fewer followers in number, but they're more engaged? So rather than having twenty thousand or so followers. It's better for a club like Salford to have 10,000, but they interact more and are interacting with fans more. or Yeah, yeah. well, that's I, I, a really, really interesting question. And, and of course, I suppose, um, you know, it's more of a qu- kind of qualitative researcher as a netnographer. Uh, I'm, I'm asking the sort of how and the why type questions to an extent, but certainly through the, the work that I've done and the, and the research that I've done, and this might be slightly controversial, but I actually think the numbers have got great value. Um I think it. I think when it comes to valuing um, sports clubs and when it comes to sponsors, I think they are impressed by the numbers. And obviously, engagement is really important as well. And I think any potential partner or sponsor or value would also be looking at engagement as a, as a metric. I know it's difficult to measure that to an extent, but um, but I think I think it's much better to have you know a hundred thousand followers and lo- kind of a bit of a lower engagement than. 50,000 followers with a slightly higher engagement, if that makes sense, you know. Um, so I think it's important to have both, but I think it's um, the fact that, say, someone like Salford have got huge numbers of, of social media followers is creates then an opportunity to be able to engage those followers a little bit more. And some people might go, well, 
those fans would never engage because actually they don't really like Salford. They like Manchester United. I disagree because I've interviewed fans from all over the world who are huge United fans. And I think that's a, it's, a, it's a sleeping giant, really, waiting to happen in terms of just making sure they produce the right content, the right opportunities. So working with partners like Samba, for example, who I know quite well, um, you know, localising that content and, you know, creating, you know, whether it's AI or ambassadors or a bigger team, you know, just reaching out to those fans and engaging them and building a, a rapport, you know. And, and it's not just the team and the brand, but the players these days, you know. Um, so, you know, as Salford Grow, you know, you're starting to get, you know, players that have got a slightly higher standing on social media are kind of well-known in the countries, like, a, you know, a, a prominent um, South American or Chinese player, for example. And that creates all kinds of um, opportunities, particularly for these kind of newer fans um, and international fans that, that often follow the player rather than the club as well. It seems that, that everywhere, whether it's clubs big or small, they're gaining like these audiences in, in far-flung places, whether it's because the, the players come, like you say, or yeah. Or because they've had some kind of like ownership deal, like the class of 92, or I mean, I'm watching Wrexham quite closely, obviously with the the Ryan Gosling, you know, everything that's going on there. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, we've, we've spoken about, about Burnley women as well, you know, the women's sports growing. And even at the lower levels, they're gaining quite big online followings because of the way that they're streaming the matches or building these communities. Mm. Uh, so it seems like this kind of, this research and this, it's all going to become more and more important as, or it's been—it's already very important, but it's becoming more and more important as yeah. as it's going on. So I want to kind of like try and feed this in a little bit now to the kind of research that is done in universities. You mentioned before that, that there are opportunities for sports clubs to work with universities and at the benefit of a lot of these massive brands, yeah, uh, or, or associations. What's the kind of what are the touch points, if you like, between universities and and sports clubs? Yeah. Or, or associations and what are the different ways that they can work together and that universities can do research and what's the benefit yeah. for yeah. for everyone here if, if you know what i mean for, for the people that aren't maybe yeah. aware of of this that goes on mm. well that, that's a great that's a great question i mean i think it's probably fair to say a lot of sports clubs have, have dabbled with or are working with like pr- pr- primarily like the local university on so many different ways because universities are you know quite so broad so just a few examples, obviously, within business schools, often, you know, um, you know, they've got marketing students, they've got events management students, they've got finance students and HR. And increasingly, universities are looking for guest talks, they're looking for um, student projects, whether it be kind of short term, you know, uh, like dissertation type things, research topics or, you know, more substantial, you know, three month or one year type projects. Um, so business schools, obviously, all kinds of subjects. Health sciences around physio and things is, is, is a really important one um, and sort of shadowing and work experience and so forth around that. Um, arts and media. So, for example, Salford have got a big presence at Media City UK, green screen studios, etc. So there's a ability to, you know, really create some interesting uh, digital content. So the Salford FC partnership, we had students down filming the matches, taking over the social media and actually some of those current students became grads and then the club actually hired them as well, you know, which is which is brilliant. Um, so that, that's kind of how it should work. It should be that sort of talent pool and ecosystem, really, um, on the sort of student teaching front, if you will, or work experience front. But um, it's the, the research side of things as well. Um, so if we could, you could tap into um, academic research or, um, uh, you know, PhD researchers and so forth and, and really try to get some insights. Because often, you know, the, the back office of um, sports clubs is incredibly stretched and they know kind of 
what it, to an extent what it is they want to find out or sometimes they don't know what they don't know so it's having those conversations with universities that have kind of got um, a resource and expertise and tools and techniques sometimes that um that just simply sports clubs don't have the money or capacity or time to be able to do uh, and then other projects i mean fanfit is a good example of something that's kind of come out of a university that's um you know, trying to do some um, some positive things for sports club foundations. And there'll be plenty of examples of that sort of. Um, there's another one at, at um, something called Salsa Sound, uh, and they invented an algorithm for sort of sound mixing for live matches and so forth and turned that into a spin-out company. So there's all kinds of sort of innovative applications and new businesses, new ideas, student projects, guest talks, and knowledge transfer partnerships, which are another kind of scheme for organisations to work with universities um, over like a substantial two-year project. And then, you know, big grant funded projects as well. Sports clubs make a brilliant, um, you know, partner between universities to, you know, try and crack crack some type of problem, you know, over time, whether it's, a, you know, health health challenges or some other kind of societal challenge like healthy ageing, for example. I think, because I think there's a lot of things that go on that are maybe unknown, unless you're in the world of academia or yeah. in the world of that, that kind of border between the two. You know, quite often people think, ah, big private company, and they they go doing their own thing and they innovate in their own way and then the universities are there they're they're responsible for teaching and for for doing kind of like i don't know in maybe not not such impactful research in in, if if that makes sense certainly outside the world of like medicine and because that's the obvious area right Mm. and i think actually there's a lot more overlap than than we know about and and certainly that's what i'm getting from this conversation is yeah, you know, there are all these interesting things going on, and and then we can learn from those insights mm. and bring that into the you know into the mix. Working in a private company such as I am, or, or yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the you know it's it's sometimes it's a bit messy because say you know um sports clubs are you know the staff are, are, are very stretched, and it's kind of similar sometimes to universities. So sometimes the the two will never meet, you know, and it's it's only kind of this fortuitous you get the you know the right academic or the right university member of staff working with the right individual within a sports club and then you know magic can happen but making that match in the first place can be a little bit challenging and i think it takes um probably a bit more forward thinking on both sides to go you know what we need to make time for these things because they're incredibly valuable you know universities need to do good research and, and increasingly impact research they need to retain students they need to make them more employable so it's absolutely working with sports clubs is perfect from that perspective yeah. And from a sports club's perspective, I mean, the PwC Sports Leader Survey, um, not this year's, last year's, was saying that, you know, majority of clubs recognise that, you know, the potential for, for innovation, but so few have actually got any sort of strategy. But it's started to change that a little bit, I think. And and the, the latest PwC survey was stressing the importance of digital transformation, for example, and looking at, you know, new technologies and esports and so forth and trying to capitalise on that on a number of levels. And I think that's really where universities can come in because they've got time, space and resource that the sports clubs really don't have to be able to, to do those things, you know. Um, so it's, it is, if you can kind of cut through the red tape and the I'm too busy type um, mentalities, then then great things can happen. Yeah, yeah. so how um, did your, your, your link with, with the Salford City come about then? So was it the rich owners said, we're taking over the club, here is the research budget, or did they specifically have in mind... We want to run a club. We want to do it the right way, and the right way includes this particular type of research. So, so it's a chicken and egg, egg type question. Did they approach you, or did you you approach them, or was it a natural a natural meeting? 
That's a really interesting question. I'm not quite sure on the answer to that, to be honest, because it, it was one of my colleagues that sort of brokered it. And I think, again, sort of personal connections. I think he already knew some of the class of 92. Um, so I think he may have brokered it, um, but it's just those sort of conversations. I'm not sure if they were already looking to partner with the local university or vice versa. I'm not really sure where some of these things came from. I mean, I, I can certainly speculate on, um, you know, prem some Premier League clubs. We've got graduates working in some of those roles within Premier League clubs. So they maintain the relationship with the university beyond graduation uh, and, the, and sometimes relationship with the people, that, you know, the academics that taught them at university. That can be a quite a strong link. And then, you know, more forward thinking clubs have, have, you know, met colleagues at events and got chatting and then they've introduced the, them to the right people and so forth. So it, it's it's a bit of both. I think both generally recognise that there's value in it, but not quite sure how to navigate it, if that makes sense. And it just takes the right, the will on, on both sides or connecting the right people up to sort of make things happen, I think. I want to ask now a little bit differently, but still on the, the topic of sport and media. And um, we've got, a bit of a following now because we've kind of started doing these um so you want to work in sport media kind of series and i know this this we're talking more about academic research but i think maybe there's a, there's a meeting of two things that if someone's listening and they're maybe in their final year of university or or maybe they're working in academia in another in another sector like like you were or uh, and, and they sort of think ah you know what maybe i would like to i don't know do research on on the impacts of social media on, on sports clubs or yeah, maybe they're hearing this for the first time now, thinking, "Oh, wow, I didn't even know research was being done or about Instagram and football teams." Yeah, and 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 they think, you know, I quite like this this life at university. What was kind of the the route then for people to to kind of get into the research side of things or the innovation side of things? Ah, that's a great great question. So I think if you, I think obviously if you if you're doing a, a you know a degree or a master's and you know it's whatever discipline you're in, actually you, you could you know, when it comes to kind of choosing projects and choosing final projects. So all of the master's students do like a final, uh, you know, dissertation or a three month internship or a six month placement or a, um, you know, a, a substantial topic. And you could then angle that towards um, sport and do a unique, you know, piece of research that's and just kind of become known for it. But I think um, obviously doing a, re doing a relevant degree is good, but it's not good enough these days really to go and just do a degree in a master's. I think you've really got to, universities have got, a million and one opportunities i think um you know to work with partners and to gain experience through placements and internships and get involved with societies and things and i think students have got to sort of grasp those opportunities a little bit and it's challenging because often they're trying to do the studies alongside a pretty serious you know work or or caring opportunities like maybe working in hospitality or something so making time to build up those relevant things on your cv i think is is really important um but you know, we've got students kind of coming out of, of, of you know, degree programmes and, and, you know, studying some sport topics or maybe they've got a bit of experience, you know, filming a Salford FC games and then they come and do a master's and then they angle that master's towards, you know, digital marketing within sports. And then they'd start doing a bit of guest lecturing and working, talking to some of the academics and doing a bit of that. And then eventually some come back and do a PhD and then you have focused on, a you know, a sport topic for the next uh, three or five years. And then you obviously then becoming a you know, an authority in your field, you know, so um, it can be quite light touch. But I think if you wanted to get a job as um, head of research and insights at a Premier League club, then you probably need to go and do a come and do a, a you know, a PhD or a, a master's or MBA and, you know, on a, on a really related topic. And obviously, you know, the digital media, social media, data aspects and data analysis 
um, you know, those types of um, areas absolutely right for research. And it's the type of thing that sports clubs are kind of value. You know, if you can become a, a bit of an authority and make a, a unique sort of contribution on that, that sports clubs can see that there is kind of a, an opportunity and a potential sort of return investment there as well. So I think one of these opportunities and research opportunities you've might be touching on is is women's sports so again we've talked about it yeah. before how women's sports are being broadcast they're not just replicating what the men's competitions did 20 years ago they're doing different things with the Dazone and youtube champions league deal so is that how what you see happening more and more in that the women's sports are just yeah, going to go actually i mean after listening to your podcast um we, you know we, we were at the beginning of a kind of tiktok um you know netnography you know studying football clubs on TikTok and um, after seeing your podcast I said you know what we really should start following Burnley because this is a really interesting again a bit of a unique um, areas we started following Burnley and another kind of uh, you know uh, Manchester United actually and um, and just looking kind of what was going on on on, on social on TikTok you know with um, you know these official particularly looking what what fans were talking about and um, what's interesting I think because the the content is merged from sort of men's and women's teams um you you've seen a lot of kind of toxic comments a lot of sexist comments etc and um we were talking to another club recently and they said actually we don't want to expose our women's team to this kind of nonsense you know so it's a real it's a real challenge I think um a lot of the Premier League clubs are working with sort of AI you know third parties and trying to filter out some of this stuff automatically but they just simply haven't got the staff resource to go through and read all the comments and sort of try and filter them out or indeed respond to some of these things you know um so the, i think we're at a really interesting crossroads where cl clubs are coming out and saying here's our kind of charter we we believe our club charter is we believe in um, equality and diversity and then we're against abuse of our players and fans or etc but then meanwhile you've got all these toxic and comments and racist comments etc against official club communications you know so you know premier league club posts a tiktok video and then they get um you know toxic and uh, sexist comments against that that video, which then really becomes part of the brand, and the, the fact that they're, they're kind of that's going unchecked, really to me contravenes the, the the values that these clubs set out. So there is a little bit of a challenge there, and obviously that's a, an ongoing current research project. But it's it's fantastic to see the women's game getting more exposure now, you know, and starting to um, there's still a lot of those old sort of attitudes to to sort of battle against, and probably to be fair on TikTok, it's probably a uh, you know, teenage boys are probably a bit of a culprit here to an extent, you know. Um, but the fact that the, the women's game is getting more exposure and, and more credibility, etc., I think it's absolutely brilliant, you know, to be able to watch watch it on um, terrestrial TV and TikTok and so forth. Now it's just making it a bit more accessible and, and open up opportunities, you know. So, for example, you know, United and City um, women's team played recently, you know, and, um, you know, at, at the Etihad, you know, and took my kids down and there's loads of stuff going on before the match and, massive crowd I'm like this is brilliant you know because I, I wouldn't normally you know we probably struggle to get tickets sometimes and certainly afford uh, tickets for Premier League games so um but you're still seeing absolutely thrilling game you know and, and a, a lot of stuff that went on around it so I don't think it's a great time but of course there's 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 plenty of challenges still to be to be addressed on you know online and offline yeah there's almost that kind of like um like a, a contradiction that that with greater exposure will normalize that, that women play football and it's a normal thing that, that you know professionalize the leagues and everything but at the same time it's going to give more exposure and more opportunity for for the trolling you know and, and i've seen that in my i've worked on, on women's football i've covered women's football and and i've seen that where people go ah oh, nobody watches this and you're like what do you mean nobody watches this that yeah. you know <laughs> half a million people watch the Barca whatever um Barca arsenal match 
uh, live on YouTube. But it's like, yep. how can you say nobody watches this? Like, it's it's frustrating. Considering they're using AI software to filter stuff, I'm like, well, that's not working very well. Because we're, we're taking screenshots of it and notes in the kind of immersion journal and sending it to my colleague. And he's like, I can't believe someone's written that, you know? And it's because it is kind of... Um, you know, probably primarily, you know, teenage boys on TikTok particularly, but of course, the, you know, keyboard warriors exist. Uh, I think there are plenty of grown platform. men there as well, in my experience. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, it's, a, it's a, a fine balance, isn't it, between, you know, the social media algorithms and what they filter out, uh, the, the clubs themselves, and then whatever kind of third party AI software they're working with. But at the minute, it, it just isn't working, you know? Yeah. Is there a need? And I'm, really, I'm conscious of time. We need to wrap this up soon. Is there a need maybe for building the positive communities and doubling down on the there is. On, on, yeah. on, on getting the positivity to kind of almost push down the, the negativity? Yeah, we, we did a piece of research uh, recently. Uh, a Premier League, local Premier League club came and said, we've got these three kind of research challenges. One of which is um, why we can't understand really why we so few female fans followers on our official social media channels. So we went out and interviewed, um, you know, female fans around Europe and the, the overarching things were there's so much abuse on social media. A lot of female fans can't be bothered with it, you know, but they don't. But they are very active and present on there. It's just that they're in these kind of micro communities, you know, they're in WhatsApp groups and, you know, hidden Facebook groups that the club will never see, you know. And um, but there is obviously opportunities, I think, for clubs to create these more positive, so more slightly welcoming spaces, if you will, because the minute you go you go out onto Twitter and um, TikTok, um, it can be a brutal place out there, can't it? You know. Absolutely. I guess that and that goes brings... back to what we were saying about fan engagement. Sorry, Stuart. I was literally about to say the almost exact same <laughs> thing. So uh, that's good. Eight, nine episodes in, and we're we're running a like clockwork. So that's, that's good. On, on you go. <laughs> well, no, I, I'm just uh, I'm conscious of the time, and uh, I, I think we ask every guest to to give us one lesson, one the lesson for the episode, and and we kind of came in thinking about this would be like how does academic research work alongside uh, sport media and and we've touched on that, but I think we've also touched on on fan engagement and the importance of that, whether it's you know keeping them engaged with the brand or trying to build a, a more positive community, as we've talked about with women's football just now. If you could if you could have to if I gunned ahead, Alex, and we had to force you to pick <laughs> sort of one lesson for this episode, uh, what what would you be thinking? So I'd say any, anybody listening that's you know working within the sports sector, the, the one lesson I would say is, you know reach out to your local university if you're not doing so already you know whether it's the business school or health sciences or arts and media departments or computer science just make contact with the university and find out what's going on there's pl there's plenty out there of, you know a, a few google searches will reveal this type of research and the type of projects that's going on so um yeah make more connections with universities and let's use them because it's a great time you know universities need to make more impact they need to get students more employable they need to create more opportunities and the, and they potentially could solve some problems for you know so um so yeah reach out to universities would be the lesson good cool, that works works for us and just to put a, a sub lesson would you put would you say for universities to reach out to clubs or you're saying no no it's the clubs responsible to yeah, reach out to sure. universities yeah so universities whether it's staff or students you know get in touch with your 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 sports club you know wherever it is it might not be your favorite sports team it might be the local team it might be somebody from somewhere else you know i was talking to a rugby club uh, in london uh, today you know so it does it could be anywhere it could be in brazil or whatever you know but yeah it goes to it goes both ways if you're a staff staff member or a student whatever discipline you are working with a sports club 
creates all kinds of opportunities, whether you like sport or you don't. It's just um, a really interesting field to work in. Brilliant. I think, again, like like we said last week with Tom, just just make connections to just reach out. If you're interested in something, if you're interested in working or doing more, then you can't do it if you're silent. Just just go out and make those networks and, and connect with people. So that's really good to have have that hearing from you, Alex, as well. Thank you. Social media can be really valuable for that, you know, because, you know, cl- clubs will respond if you contact if you contact them through the you know proper channels. LinkedIn's a fantastic resource as well for just finding out who's who within a sports club, you know. So if you're interested in marketing in sports, you know, get yourself onto LinkedIn and have a look who those people are. And they will actually connect with you and they will actually respond to you. Well, not all of them, obviously, but it's a bit of a numbers game. But, you know, vice versa, it's just um, LinkedIn's a really good way to sort of drill through and figure out who's who within a university or within a within a sports club. Fantastic. Alex, uh, where can listeners find you? What, what do you want to, anything you want to plug or, or what's, what's all your info? We'll put it in the description as well and, and the listening. Great stuff. Well, yeah, so um, my sort of info on my uh, PhD and uh, my uh, research in, in uh, sports and digital transformation and the FanFit project is primarily on my website, which is just um, alexfenton.co.uk. And you find my um, LinkedIn and Twitter handle on there as well. Um, but if anyone's particularly interested in FanFit and the idea of kind of trying to look after, you know, uh, you know, the well-being of uh, fans and uh, the physical and mental well-being, not even just in sport, but I mean, so we've just produced a version for uh, Sofa University staff and students. So I think it's any kind of brand that's got a duty of care to its, you know, fans, customers, staff, students, stakeholders, etc., could potentially benefit from something like FanFit as a kind of white label. Um, so that's just fanfit.co.uk. And you can see on there the downloads for like Red Devils, Rangers and the latest one, which is um, us sorted, the Salford University app. So um, anyone's interested in, you know, smartphone apps, wearables and and how that project might be applied into their organisation they work, work with, then uh, fanfit.co.uk for that one. Fantastic. Good. Thank so, you very uh, much. No, no, again, no, again we're saying the same much. thing at the same time again, Jamie. Well, go on. You, you do it this time, Stuart. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Alex, thank you for joining us. And yeah, be sure to like, subscribe, and share, and listen next week. Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.